This sermon extract is coming from the studio rather than from a church just because of some technical issues. But we do live in a strange world, don't we? A world that is rapidly changing as the moral and sexual revolution progresses. We're facing ethical challenges that we would never have thought possible, would have never have thought that we would encounter. It's a world in which the Christian believer, the one who has received new life in Christ, must stand out as being different from the world around us. A completely different lifestyle, one that's noticeably different, different in language and different in integrity, different in attitude and morality, a lifestyle that will be in opposition to most of this present age's values and which will inevitably bring us into conflict with the culture with the world around us. So our question today is, how then ought we to live? You're listening to the Semper Reformata podcast with Bob McAvoy. going to read from Ephesians chapter 4 verse 17 down to verse 24. Paul writes to the Ephesian Christians, This I say therefore and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk, in the vanity of their mind, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart who being past feeling, have given themselves over to lasciviousness, to work all uncleanness with greediness. But ye have not so learned Christ, if so be that ye have heard him, and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, that ye put off concerning the former conversation the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that ye put on the new man, which, after God, is created in righteousness and true holiness. That's a difficult passage, but essentially what it means is that Christians ought to stand out as being different from the culture. In verse 17, Paul says, This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth walk, not as other Gentiles walk, in the vanity of their mind. For Gentiles there, you could just as easily read the word pagan, that ye henceforth walk, not as pagans walk. So how would you live if the Lord Jesus was standing directly beside you? I wonder if you look at your life and you think of the things that you say and do, think of the way that you act, is there anything that you would be doing differently? Anything that you would not be doing? Is there anything that you would be ashamed of if the Lord Jesus was standing right beside you? When I was a teenager back in the 70s, Christians usually didn't go to the cinema. They didn't even often go to football matches. I certainly didn't. We were taught that we had to ask a question as young people. If I was standing or at a football terrace wasting my time or sitting in a cinema with all the bad language that goes on at football matches or all the salacious scenes in films, 
or if I was sitting at a bar and Christ was to return, would I not be ashamed? Well, it certainly was a very persuasive argument in those days. If I knew that Jesus was standing right beside me right now, the one who gave his own life for me at the cross, would I do or would I say or would I even think the things that I do? When Paul commands us not to walk as pagans walk in verse 17, he tells us that he is testifying this in the Lord. That's more than just a stress on the seriousness of that matter. It is a fact that the Lord Jesus knows what we are saying. He knows what we are doing. And as we walk through this world, as we live in our pagan culture, we're not to walk as other Gentiles walk. We're to walk in such a way as pleases Christ, not the people around us. Incidentally, the word walk here is the Greek word peripateo. It talks about our step, our lifestyle, our walk every single moment of every day. And what characterizes the lifestyle of that pagan world? That's what we'll look at next. Paul talks here about the vanity of our minds. What marks out the culture that we're living in and the culture that the Ephesian Christians were living in? In other words, in order to be different, we need to know what we're to be different from. And in these verses, Paul gives us a very detailed description of the pagan cultures of his day. For the Ephesians lived in a highly sexualized culture, one which promoted all kinds of prostitution and debauchery, one where women and children were little more than chattels, and newborn babies were at risk of death for little more than convenience, a culture where drugs and drunkenness were the norm. I don't think it has got any better in the intervening 2,000 years, do you? Probably it's worse. Paul describes the pagan culture of the world of his day as having darkened minds. He says, having the understanding darkened. Their moral understanding is darkened. Their reasoning is clouded. The Greek here can literally mean to be covered with a shroud, to be morally dead. What was so obviously sinful and disgusting and darkly disturbing just a few decades ago must today be tolerated, largely because society's moral reasoning has been clouded by the media, by exposure to a gradual drip feed of psychological nudges dished up in the form of entertainment. Paul calls it here the ignorance of God. Even the very basic elements of Christianity are truly missing from the culture. He says being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them. And it's because of the blindness of their heart. The New King James Version here reads hardening. And that's closer to the uh, the true meaning, the Greek word perosis. Perosis in Greek society was used for a gradual process of petrification, the process by which organic matter over a long period is turned into a kind of a stony substance. It eventually came to be used by the Greeks in a medical sense. I suppose we would talk today about hardening of the arteries in the heart or the brain. 
or the formation of stony deposits in the joints which stiffened and restricted movement, but Paul uses it in a spiritual sense. And that would have spoken volumes to the Greeks. As they witnessed the lifestyle of their fellow Gentiles, their hearts had become hardened to their sin. Think of how that works. When we sin, it troubles the conscience. It makes us uncomfortable. But as time goes on, gradually, and we indulge in that sin more and more, the heart becomes hardened against it. It becomes callous. Perosis sets in. And we soon commit that same sin with little or no thought of how others will think about it. We don't care anymore. We become proud of our sin. We even celebrate our sin. Our hardened hearts have become totally insensitive to our wickedness. So Paul describes these people as being past feeling. And that's not just true of personal morality. It works on a societal scale too. The laws that permit homosexual marriage didn't come in overnight. In the 1950s, if someone had suggested that Parliament should legislate to allow two men or two women to marry, there would have been an outcry of moral anger, and rightly so. But there was a long, continual drip feed of suggestions and manipulations until we reached the point as a society that our consciences were no longer offended. Homosexuality was right out there, in your face, on your streets, and the inevitable step was to legislate for civil partnerships, and then when that settled down, marriage. And then came transgender issues, and men wearing girls' clothes and using female changing rooms and toilets and the sexualization of our children by the state and our schools, and it's far from finished. And here's why. Paul tells us here that these people have given themselves over unto lasciviousness. But it means that these people no longer care. The pagan culture of Ephesus has lain down in its own dirt. It has given up trying to promote purity and decency. It is no longer even trying. They have surrendered to their lasciviousness. The word means a man who is proud of his sin. It means intemperance, licentiousness, outrageous behaviour. It means carrying on in front of others with no regard whatsoever for their opinions or their feelings or their beliefs. It typifies the sexualized society of today. And they do it with greed. Verse 19. Paul says to work all uncleanness with greediness. And they want more and more and more of it. They're greedy for it. They're not satisfied with what they've got, with the so-called progress that they've made. They always want more. Of course, I'm talking about Ephesus, aren't I? But it's the UK as well. And it's the United States of America. And it's the depraved Republic of Ireland. And it's right here in Northern Ireland, the land of Nicholson and revival.
we last looked at Ephesians, we learned that in order to mature as Christians, we needed a role model. Just as little boys and girls need role models in their lives when they're young. And we learned that our role model, according to the Apostle Paul, is the Lord Jesus himself. In chapter 4 and verse 13, he talks about coming in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So now Paul challenges these Christians, and he challenges us with a clear statement. He says, Ye have not so learned Christ. Whatever is going on in this world, whatever the latest thing happens to be, you didn't learn that from Jesus. Ye have not so learned Christ. You didn't learn any of that from him. There's nothing in this world's culture that would point you to Jesus or be honouring to him. So Jesus is our role model. Let's see the difference that that will make following Christ, walking in his steps. Look back at your Bible reading again. Following Jesus will mean a life of truthfulness. Some time ago, The Guardian published an article where it recorded an interview with Oprah Winfrey and the Duke and Duchess of Sussex. Oprah Winfrey had asked him, how do you feel about the palace hearing you speak your truth today? Their truth. In the pagan worldview, truth is subjective. You can have your truth and I can have mine and so on, but not so for the Christian. In verse 21, Paul says here, If so be that ye have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. If you've really met the Lord Jesus, if you know him as your Saviour and your Lord, if you have been taught by him and of him, then you will understand that all truth, God's absolute truth, is revealed in him alone. Jesus is the personification of truth. You cannot ever agree with this world that truth is subjective. We must speak the truth in love, even if that brings us into conflict with present-day values. Think how that will affect you when you have to use someone's pronouns. Their preferred pronouns when a man wants to be addressed as a woman. You must speak the truth in love. And a life of denial, verse 22, that ye put off concerning the former conversation, the old man which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. We will, as Christians, following the Lord Jesus as our role model, we will completely put away what we once were how we once spoke, how we behaved before we met Christ, all those desires and inclinations of our sinful nature and our carnal pleasures. We will put them off like we would take off a coat when we come home from a day's work and we've got a coat on that's soiled, been soiled by the world around us, been soiled by our daily activities perhaps at work. Then we will come in and we will take that coat off and we will put on a different garment. And Paul tells us that we're to put off the old man, the old ways of life. In verse 23, to have a life of development, to be renewed in the spirit of your mind, being continually renewed in the spirit of your mind. In other words, we will have a fresh mental and spiritual attitude 
untainted by the philosophies and the proclivities of this present age. In chapters 1 to 3 of Ephesians, we notice that all of the verbs were being done by God. It was he who was doing the saving, doing the choosing, doing the election. It was God who redeemed us and adopted us into his family. But now these are verbs that we must do. We must put off the old man. We must be renewed in the spirit of our mind. We must have this spiritual attitude untainted. And we must put on the new man. Verse 24. Put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. We're recreated in God's image in the righteousness and holiness of the truth, and living in a way that expresses before God our sincere gratitude for our salvation. Now, none of this is something that we do in order to be saved. Good works cannot get us to heaven. Being good living can't get us to heaven. Being a decent person and having a high moral standard can't get us to heaven. We fail badly on all of those counts. We are sinners. Christ gets us to heaven. His death and resurrection, that's what gets us to heaven. His sinless life and atoning death. But the importance of this passage is that these Ephesians, like other Gentile converts, were once themselves steeped in the culture of this world. They were just like the people Paul is describing in verse 18 and 19, but they have been saved. They have been washed in the blood of the Lamb. They have been redeemed by Christ. There has been a difference. They have met the Lord, and life can never be the same again. They have a new life, and they have a new nature, and they have a new desire to live that new nature out in their life. They are different. As Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5 and 17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Let us then live for Jesus. And let us stand out as being different from the rest of this world. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode of the podcast, please help to make it better known by opening the podcast app on your phone or mobile device. Then, search for The Semper Reformata Podcast. Subscribe and give it a 5-star rating. See you next time.